This afternoon we listen to Lord's Day 20 of the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 20, and we'll also read in connection with that Article 11 of the Belgic Confession. But we begin with Lord's Day 20, and you'll see that we're in this section of the Apostles' Creed about God, the Holy Spirit, and our sanctification. What do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit? First, He is, together with the Father and the Son, true and eternal God. Second, He is also given to me to make me, by true faith, share in Christ and all His benefits, to comfort me, and to remain with me forever. And then Article 11 of the Belgic Confession, page 505 in the Book of Praise. And there we confess the Holy Spirit, true and eternal God. We believe and confess also that the Holy Spirit from eternity proceeds from the Father and the Son. He is neither made, created, nor begotten, but he can only be said to proceed from both. In order, he is the third person of the Holy Trinity, of one and the same essence, majesty, and glory with the Father and the Son, true and eternal God, as the Holy Scriptures teach us. So far, our confessions. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, boys and girls who belong to the Lord, the catechism is pretty short in what we specifically confess about the person of the Holy Spirit in Lord's Day 20, isn't it? And maybe you wonder about that. Pentecostal and Alliance churches talk a lot more about the Holy Spirit than we do as Reformed churches. Why is that? Well, you you need to remember, first of all, that whatever follows after Lord's Day 20 and uh, about the Apostles' Creed, that means Lord's Day 21 and 22, is also all the work of the about the work of the Holy Spirit. And the, the Holy Spirit, in the second place, doesn't draw a lot of attention to himself in the Bible, but draws, wants to draw our attention to Jesus Christ. That's, that's how he is. You could compare the Holy Spirit to a spotlight. You know, over at Salvation Corners here in town, you have those four historic church buildings And they have spotlights pointed up to their towers, to the spires. Highlights them at night. When you drive by there, you see the light shining on on the tower, the spire of the church. Note the spotlight highlights the church spire. And it's not the other way around. You don't go there to admire the spotlight. It isn't intended to be examined and admired. No, you, f- you focus your attention via that spotlight on the church spire. It's something like that with the Holy Spirit. He shines the light on Jesus Christ. As Jesus said about the Spirit in John 16, we read that, He will glorify me, for He will take what is mine and declare it to you. 
So it's good to pay attention to the Holy Spirit, but the Spirit himself only wants to shine the light on Jesus Christ and what belongs to him. That's also why the name of Christ is mentioned right in the middle of Lord's Day 20. He, the Holy Spirit, is also given to me to make me by true faith share in Christ and all his benefits. And with that in mind, I proclaim to you the gospel as we confess it from the Bible Luke, in Lord's Day 20 about the Holy Spirit. We pay attention to who he is, what he does, and how he comforts. First of all, who he is. The first thing we confess about the Holy Spirit in Lord's Day 20, you'll notice, is that he is true and eternal God. Just as the Father and the Son are God, so the Holy Spirit is also true and eternal God. He's not just a power or force or so. He's a, he's a person, one of the three persons of the Holy Trinity. God. And the Bible is clear about that. He does divine works. For instance, he was involved at creation. He was involved in the writing of the Bible itself. The Bible also credits him with divine characteristics. Goodness, holiness, eternity. And the Holy Spirit is also worshipped. For instance, as the seven spirits who are before God's throne in that blessing you heard from Revelation 1. And think of how his name is mentioned alongside the name of the Father and the Son when the Lord Jesus instituted the sacrament of baptism at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. Then you realize that the Spirit is a distinct person when the Bible says he can be grieved and he can be sinned against, but he is at the same time true and eternal God. So the Holy Spirit, like the Father and the Son, is true and eternal God, and that tells us something For the Father who created everything out of nothing is God. No one could create like he does, make something out of nothing, totally nothing. There was nothing, and he brought the universe into existence by his word. And nobody can do that simply by saying something, bring something that into existence, bring matter into existence. That's a divine work. And the Son who worked salvation for sinners is God, no human being, could save sinners from the burden of their sins and defeat Satan and death. That's only something that could be done by someone who is also true God. And the Holy Spirit who sanctifies and renews is also God, changing lives, bringing people to love and serve Jesus is something that no man could do no matter how persuasive a salesman he was. By nature, you see, we hate God and are unwilling and unable to change that. No one can change that. Divine power and wisdom is needed for that, to change people like that. And the Holy Spirit does that work, and it's a divine work. He is God. But notice it doesn't just say in the Lord's Day 20 that the Holy Spirit is true and eternal God like the Father and the Son. No, it says there that he is God together with the Father and the Son. Together with. Now you might wonder what the difference is, but you could maybe imagine it's something like this. 
if somebody is building a house, like someone else is building a house too, then they're each building houses, separate houses, working separately at what they're doing, and they might even be hindering each other in what they're doing, competing for supplies or equipment. However, if someone is working at building something, building a, a building together with someone else, then they're not going to hinder or compete with each other, but they're going to work together at finishing that one project. You see the difference? Together with the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit is true and eternal God. And that means that all three of them work together. They don't hinder each other or work against each other, but they work harmoniously together with each other for the same purpose and the same goal, which is the complete salvation of the church. The Father chose, the Son saved, the Holy Spirit works in harmony with them and completes the whole project by bringing those chosen ones to Christ. He wants to finish the work which the Father and the Son have already done to save sinners. He's the finisher in the whole building. And that's why, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, the Holy Spirit has promised us already at our baptism too. That's how eager he is to complete what has been promised us by the Father in the first place, adoption, and the Son, redemption. The Spirit wants to sanctify us Bring us home. The Father promises to adopt, the Son to redeem, and the Holy Spirit wants to make us receptive to what Father and Son have promised. Together with the Father and the Son, grant us full salvation. And that means, too, then, that the Spirit will never do anything that does not bring honor to the Son or that goes against the will of the Father. The Spirit, for instance, will not draw us away from the church where he wants to bring people who have been called by the Father and redeemed by the Son. And for instance, he will not give anyone a gift which doesn't serve the Father and point to Christ the Son. And if you realize then that whatever is in accordance with the will of God in the Bible and whatever doesn't bring glory to the Son doesn't come from the Spirit well, then you have the test of whether something is the work of the Spirit or not. The Spirit doesn't just make people feel good, as many want to believe today when they say they were lifted up by the Spirit, but he makes them small before God the Father and makes them desire the redemption of God the Son. That's what he works for. So we've we've paid attention to something of who the Spirit is, and we come to the second part what the Holy Spirit does. We've already talked a bit about this, but this touches on the second part of Lord's Day 20, that he is also given to me to make me by true faith share in Christ and all his benefits. That he is also given to me. How is he given to me? Well, the Spirit was given to the church in the first place. To the church. Pentecost poured out. That means where the offices have been instituted 
and where the word is adhered to and proclaimed. That's where God gives the Holy Spirit. That's started at Pentecost, and so the church remains the prime workshop of the Holy Spirit. In the church, you come, you could say, into the force field of the Holy Spirit. Like a magnet draws everything that is metallic towards it, so the Spirit draws everything around there to, to the Son and to the Father. He speaks, he does that through the word, speaks to our consciences. He calls us, invites us, warns us, directs us, convicts us via the word. And through the hearing of the word, the spirit also makes us then responsible for what we heard. And how do we listen to the word then proclaimed in the church of Christ? That's something we have to think about. How do we prepare to come here to hear the word? Do we realize this is the workshop of the Spirit? Also, what do we do when we're home again after having heard the word opened and being exposed to the work of the Holy Spirit? And then what do we do with what we heard from the word during the week? Now, you might still wonder, Good to know the Spirit is given to the church, but what about me personally, right? How do I know whether he's also given to me personally? Because that's what it says in Lord's Day 20. According to that Lord's Day, that can be noticed that the Holy Spirit is given to you. You can notice that. He makes you, because that's what it says, he makes you by true faith share in Christ and all his benefits. In other words, you notice his work in you personally when you desire all the benefits of Christ. Everything he has worked for you and promised you. For instance, by means of the law, the Spirit convinces you that you need the blood of Christ for the washing away of your sins every time again. And through the gospel of grace, the Spirit brings you to Christ then and to relief from your guilt every time into peace in your heart and and then he leads you to deep gratitude for for that redemption and to to the desire to serve Christ with your whole life and then he also gives you joy and hope in Christ through the word so that you can look beyond whatever is here to the life to come which is the real life this is just a short interval compared to that. And see, if you experience that in you, then, then the Holy Spirit is also given to you. Then all Christ's benefits are really yours. Everything we confessed in Lord's Day 14 about his holy conception and birth all the way to Lord's Day 19 about Christ being seated at the right hand of God. Each of those Lord's Days speaks of benefit. How does this work of Christ and that work of Christ, how does it benefit you? By his holy conception and and birth, for instance, he covers in the sight of God my sin in which I was conceived and born. He was condemned by Pontius Pilate and so freed me from the severe judgment of God that was to fall on me. That was the benefit. 
And by his cross he took on himself the curse which lay on me. Another benefit. And, by, and, and his descent into hell means that in my greatest sorrows and temptations I may be comforted and assured that he has delivered me from the anguish and torment of hell. Another benefit. And his death means that my, dying is a, my death is a dying to sin and an entrance into eternal life. Another benefit. And his resurrection benefits me in that by his power I'm raised up to a new life. And his resurrection is a glorious pledge of my glorious resurrection. And his ascension benefits me in that I have an advocate in heaven before God the Father who speaks up for me there. Somebody who has, has my cause at heart at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. That's a benefit. See, the Holy Spirit declares to me that all those benefits of Christ's work are for me. And he makes me then desire those benefits. Want them. With all my heart. And you see then how you know that the Holy Spirit is also given to you. When you love Christ in everything we confess about him, you love that. And you realize that you have everything in him. And that you also desire then all his benefits from the heart. You want that from him. If you keep coming to Christ because you realize you can't do without him. That you're truly lost without him. That's the Spirit's work in you. Because without his working in you through the word, you'd never come to that. Or to put it another way, if you continually fall into Christ's gracious arms, that's something that only the Holy Spirit can work. So if you experience those things, then you also know he is given to me to make me share in Christ and all his benefits. And that's then the assurance of your salvation in Christ too, right? But back to the introduction for, to the sermon for a moment here. We mentioned that sometimes it seems as if we as Reformed churches pay too little attention to the Holy Spirit and that a lot of Pentecostal churches and so on, have, they focus a lot more on him and his work. But Sadly, a lot of evangelicals today see the work of the Spirit as something, something extra special. Something like a, a glorious feeling at certain special moments in worship. You're lifted up and, and say, now I felt the Holy Spirit. Or, or with exceptional gifts which give you the ability to do extra special things for someone. Maybe even heal somebody. But congregation, we don't have any of that in, in our confession. The Spirit here simply works quietly, normally, plainly, persistently through the proclamation of the gospel, through the word, from week to week and also day to day. He brings people to let go of themselves. And it's a process. 
let go of themselves more and more and seek their life outside of themselves in Jesus Christ. And he works so that we then also grow in our faith in Christ. Keep up the fight of faith. Come back to Christ again and again and again. That all comes from the working of the Spirit through the Word. He may not always be named, but it's all His quiet work of bringing sinners to Christ, His church through the Word. And it's wonderful that He does it that all, all of that, right? And He does it in that quiet way. That plain, simple opening of the Word. That he keeps breaking down that resistance to the gospel which is in our hearts by nature. That he keeps convincing us every time again of our need for Christ. And of the sufficiency of Christ's work for us. All those benefits. You know, there's, there's always a danger too that we as Christians so easily presume faith. And that we take the Spirit's quiet and ordinary work for granted. That's, that's the other side. That we take it for granted. And then we lose our real sense of sinfulness. And then we lose our heartfelt need for and love for Christ. And then we end up relying more on ourselves than on Him. But then He brings us again by means of the gospel to our senses. So that we see how needy we are. And how full Christ's work for us is. So that we say again, yes, how true the gospel is. Wow, I see it again. And how good it is to know Jesus Christ. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, congregation. Through the gospel. He comes with that comfort of the gospel again and again. And that brings us to the last part of the sermon. How the Spirit comforts. In Lord's Day 20, two more things are are mentioned right at the end. It says that he is given me to comfort me and to remain with me forever. First of all, comfort. The Holy Spirit is the comforter. Sometimes the Lord Jesus speaks of him as the counselor. Sometimes it's translated like that, the counselor. We read it as helper. In the New King James Version, a little bit on the weak side, but the counselor, that touches on the special work of the Holy Spirit. You know that the word comforter by itself might make you think of somebody who consoles you just in time of sorrow and gives you relief when there's trouble or so, but actually the word counselor is good. Often used in the Bible too, means more than than just comforter, but it means like an attorney or an advocate, like an ambassador, is the advocate for a country. Canada has ambassadors in various countries, and they, they attend to and promote the interests of Canadians and the cause of Canada in those other countries. The Holy Spirit is God's ambassador here on earth, who attends to and promotes the interest and cause of God's name and his church and his kingdom here on earth. The ambassador. 
So the Holy Spirit was sent here by God the Father and by the Son. He proceeds from the Father and the Son to support God's cause here on earth, to ensure that God's kingdom and name will be promoted here. And he works in such a way that our lives are more and more than governed by God's name and will, so that they more and more permeate our lives, that our more lives more and more here already serve the cause of God's glory, his church, and his kingdom. He works at our sanctification. And that work of sanctification, it's always, not always so nice it's because it brings struggle into your life. Right? Because our flesh, our old nature, doesn't want to be sanctified. Doesn't want to submit to God's will and law and cause. But is set on promoting our own cause and our own desires. That's the way our flesh is. That's the way we are by nature. But the Holy Spirit draws us, points us to God's cause. And that causes us trouble. And, and, and struggle. And that causes us grief too. Right? Because we're often so, so often resistant to the work of the Holy Spirit yet. We actually, if we look at our lives, sometimes we, we realize we allow so little of God's goodwill to fill our lives. And his interests are still so often second to our own interests. We do so little for God yet, really, and for Christ. And we have so many remaining sins and weaknesses in us yet. You try to get past the one, and there is another one already again to deal with. And see, in that situation, the Holy Spirit is also our comforter in the real sense. So he's not just counselor, but also comforter in the real sense of the word. And he works through the word to bring us to keep up the fight of faith and to lead us, push us into God's good ways more and more writes God's laws in our hearts, inscribes them on our hearts, and then there can be some progress. Oh, in ourselves, we're going to remain sinners in this life, but at least then we depend more and more on Christ and his holiness and his satisfaction. And then in Christ, we know ourselves righteous sinners we look to Christ and we know that in the future we will be like him and that's a great comfort already and that that the spirit comforts me then with that hope and then that second thing confessed toward the end of Lord's Day 20 to remain with me forever it says remain with me forever that's a, that's a miracle that the Spirit is given me to remain with me forever. He's determined to stick with me. Because, congregation, we grieve him so often, don't we? 
He has a lot of resistance to deal with in our, in our lives, in our hearts. It's a wonder, if you think about it, it's a wonder that he wants to live in us at all. And that he can even stand to remain in us when we fall so easily for temptation. When we become careless, when we become indifferent. When we so easily become discouraged about God's promises. What a chore the Holy Spirit has with us. It's a wonder he doesn't get tired of it. That the Spirit never says, doesn't help anyway. You're hopeless. Year after year, I don't see hardly any improvement in you at all. I give up on you. He doesn't say that. He remains with me forever. The longer you live with the Lord, the more amazing you realize it is that the Spirit remains with you doesn't give up on you oh sometimes sometimes you can draw back for a while but it's no wonder that he does that if you consider how we sometimes grieve him but then he only draws back in order to bring us to our knees again as with David right and with Peter who denied his Lord drew back okay give you over to yourself and then Peter realized it and he wept bitterly and you can count on it that David wept bitterly too when he was brought to repentance well congregation you know what I'm talking about right if you truly know Christ and his spirit lives in you that's you, you experience that to remain with me forever the wonder he brings me back every time again those whom the Father chose and the Son redeemed, the Spirit wants to bring home. He doesn't forsake them. He doesn't give up. Finishes the work of the Father and the Son. And he does that in the church through the administration of the Word. But not automatically. We also have our own responsibility. If we resist him, if we grieve him, then the word can be read and proclaimed a thousand times, but it's not going to do anything. You could compare it with sailing. The reading and the proclamation of the word is like raising a sail. But if there's no wind, the boat isn't going to move. It's going to stay where it is. And you notice that sometimes, don't you? You listen to and you read the word, and, but nothing changes. In church and out of church again, same. Bible open, Bible closed, the same. No comfort, no repentance, no peace, no joy in being here, in opening the word. Sometimes the Spirit lets that happen for a while, draws back to bring us to our knees, because otherwise, we will take it all for granted too. We take it all for granted. And then we don't pray fervently for his work in us anymore. But then, when we are on our knees again, we realize we're not going to make any progress without the Spirit in us either. And then we're open to him again. 
then we realize he has to work it all in me. And that my boat's not going to move without his wind in my sail. Congregation, we confess with the Apostles' Creed and the Heidelberg Catechism that we believe in the Holy Spirit. Also the Belgian Confession. We need to seek his work in us. He alone can bring to Christ through the word, to Christ and all his benefits. He alone wants to remain with us and keep us standing and growing in our relationship with Christ in this messed up world we live in so that we share in all his benefits. Let's never stop praying for the spirit to work in us then because he's the one who can bring us home to glory. He alone. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious Father, thank you that we could confess the Holy Spirit this afternoon. Thank you for his work. Your work, your son's work, but also your spirit's work because where would we be without him? How could we come to Christ and to you without him? And we pray that he will work in us then through the gospel, through the word. That we are open to that too. That we don't just presume it all automatic. But Father, that we seek him. We pray that he will continually work in us and and sanctify us 